Bienvenidos to the cookout. Hello, everyone. It is Ashley Thomas, the founder and executive director of the Hive Community Circle, joining you once again on our Somos Melanated podcast. Um, and I am so excited to have joining with me on today, attorney and member of the South Carolina House of Representative Cambrell Garvin. Cambrell, welcome. We're so excited to have you with us. Thank you, Ashley. It's an honor to be with you all today. Absolutely. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our podcast. So, you know, we have been able to speak with other members of the community to really talk about um, their experience of what it means to be um, from the Midlands and just your experience overall um, here in South Carolina and the work that you do and, and how it relates to the work that we do here as an organization um, as it pertains to center and safety and wellness. And so, um, Cambrell, if you could share with those um, who are listening, um, you know, we know that many people see you um, and whether that's as a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives or an attorney or as a father, but if you could just share with us um, a little bit about who you are and what you enjoy most about um, living and being from the Midlands. Absolutely. Again, thank you for the opportunity to be on today. Um, my name is Cambrell Garvin, and uh, I am a proud uh, uh, resident of the Midlands, born and raised here. And I'll tell you, I had an opportunity a few years ago to do my ancestry DNA. Mm. And literally, on both sides of my family, my family has been in South Carolina um, from the time that they got off the slave ships um, wow. coming from Africa. Uh, so I think that my commitment to this state um, spans, you know, certainly generational. It's a generational mm -hmm. commitment. Um, I am the great-grandson of sharecroppers who, who were born and raised in rural Sumter, South Carolina, as well as landowners uh, uh, from Lake City, uh, South Carolina. Uh, my, my parents met here in Columbia. And um, my mom, my mom ended up raising my brother and I, my older brother and I, um, as, as a single parent for many, many years. And um, just, I'm just somebody who has been committed to being a part of this community, committed to making this state better, and committed to certainly seeing um, that the future generations have uh, promising opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I think that um, it's amazing just for you to be able to speak, you know, to your lineage and how important that is, um, because for there are many of us, you know, who may not be able to um, trace that back or just know that that history. And I think it's so important when we talk about who we are, that we also don't forget, you know, where we came from. Mm -hmm. um, and that really goes, you know into my next question which is about you know where your story begins mm -hmm. you know you you know uplifted you know your grandparents and and your mom and and the role that you know she played in your life raising you and your brother as a as a single parent um where do you believe that you know your story began and um how you currently are fulfilling your role and your commitment to the state and to the citizens of our community what does that begin for you sure absolutely so my mother tells the story of my uh, of my being born and uh, she had gone to the doctor earlier that day for a checkup doctor said the baby's going to come in a couple of weeks so you know just continue to do what you're doing that later that night, uh, my mom started feeling, I guess, uh, that the baby was coming, that I was coming. And uh, so she called her doctor and they said, come on in. 
and found out the baby was breached. Mm. Uh, me being the baby. Um, so they said the baby's coming. Uh, so we're going to have to turn, turn the baby. The baby's ready. Mm -hmm. um, the doctors turned me around, reached in and turned me around. And me being who I am, I flipped back around. Uh, so I think, <laughs> so I said, okay, well, we're going to have to do a C-section. Because this little one wants to come. Right. He's coming how he wants to come. Uh, so I tell that story because I think I, I literally came into the world with my eyes wide open, my mouth wide mm. open, ready to take on the world. And from an early age, that same tenacious spirit, that same ambition uh, has carried me. Um, in middle school, I, I, I got involved in, in my local student council, um, first ran for quote-unquote office mm -hmm. uh, in middle school and had the opportunity to go out and talk to my classmates about why they should vote for me. That same passion continued throughout high school and had the opportunity to serve in that capacity in high school and even college. I spent two years as a student government president of my college and university. I was president of the South Carolina NAACP Youth and College division mm -hmm. um, so just really really involved in my community at an early age yeah. I actually hosted my first voter registration campaign at the age of 10 wow. uh, so I couldn't vote had eight more years before I could vote <laughs> but I recognized at that early age the power of voting the power um, that it, what it meant to be able to go to, to the ballot box and to mm -hmm. cast that ballot I heard stories from older relatives who had to read the Constitution here in South Carolina mm -hmm. before they could cast their ballot so I'm never taken that opportunity for granted. Uh, so that same passion, again, from, from birth to middle school, high school to college has carried me up until this point, uh, after finishing up my undergrad um, at Winthrop University, uh, I uh, I went on to join a program called Teach for America, mm -hmm. where I spent three years as a South Carolina public school teacher down wow. in Waterboro, South Carolina, wow. Colleton County. Yeah. Spent three years down there um, and, and decided that, okay, either I'm going to stay in education as a mm -hmm. teacher, administrator, or I'm going to pursue my long-held dream a goal and goal, which was going to law school and eventually running for office. I decided uh, to do the latter, and that's where I am today. I ended up enrolling at the University of South Carolina School of Law in 2016. Mm -hmm. I was about 25, 24 or 25 at that time. And um, I'll tell you, law school is not for the faint at heart. I, I, I believe you that. <laughs> uh, it is not for the faint at heart. And there were many days that I said, am I really following uh, my purpose by being here? Yeah. Um, but I think what kept me focused is the opportunity that I now have today, the vision mm -hmm. of being able to serve, the, the vision of being able to help folks. Right. That's what kept me motivated during those hard days and I was like you know what do I really want to be here mm -hmm. um, and so um, during my first year of law school like I said extremely difficult but I got through it um, and I decided my second year of law school it was 2017 2018 it was 2018 at this point um, 2017 2018 and we had just gotten past the presidential election mm -hmm. um, where we all know that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton mm -hmm. in an unexpected electoral uh, victory. And President Obama, as he was departing office, said to all the young folks that are listening, I know that you're discouraged. I know that you, you know, feel hopeless, but don't mm -hmm. give up, you know, right. keep pushing, keep fighting. But so before, let me go back a little bit. I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I always knew that I wanted to run for office. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I heard President, President Obama's speech in 2016 following that election. And I just said, you know what? Now's the time. Mm. And so, again, keep in mind, I was in law school. So that right. means I didn't have any money. <laughs> um, I didn't have a full-time job. But I wanted 
to run for office. I said, yeah. now's the time. I felt led that now's the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer that if you try to wait for the perfect moment or the perfect opportunity, you'll sometimes miss. And and they they never come. And you'll sometimes miss moments and miss Mm -hmm. opportunities. So um, me being who I am, me being that British baby who was ready to come into the world, took on a 20-year political incumbent. Somebody wow. that had been in office since I was in elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who nobody thought that we could beat. Um, somebody who had all of the access to money, who had mm-hmm. all of the local political connections, who had, quote unquote, a political machine that folks thought was unbeatable. So we got out there. Um, and we knocked on a lot of doors. Mm-hmm. We got out there. We raised a lot of money with our, our, our network of small dollar donors. And we ended up winning a mm-hmm. race that a lot of folks thought, thought we couldn't win. Um, the first round of voting was uh, there were four of us in the race running against this one incumbent. Um, during the first round, he actually edged us out by seven votes. Mm. Seven votes. Wow. So when I tell you that every vote matters, <laughs> it does. every vote matters. <laughs> and so I like to tell folks, had that been the end of the story, mm-hmm. that I would have went home, licked my wounds, and said, you know, well, maybe in two years I'll come back. But fortunately here in South Carolina, you have to have 50 plus 1% of the vote mm. in order to win. So that meant that we had a runoff with just he and I. And when we came back, we had two weeks to get our supporters back out to the polls. And we did it. We ended up winning that race, that very first race, um, with by nearly 70% of the vote wow. in a race that folks thought we couldn't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tell folks again, you know, if you feel like you're led to do something, no matter, it doesn't matter who doesn't understand it. It doesn't matter who don't who, who, who doesn't get it. I think that if you feel led to do it, go try it. Give it a shot because either you're going to win or you're going to learn something from that experience. But I would never consider it to be a loss. Right. So that's kind of been my, philo- my philosophy throughout life. And I think that story just shows that... Um, you know, I'm not one, I'm not afraid to try new mm-hmm. things. I'm not a tr- afraid to take a chance. And I encourage all of your listeners to be unafraid right. to pursue their goals and their dreams. Right. Thank you so much for speaking to that. Um, I mean, there's so many, there's so many motivating factors um, just, you know, to your story and how you came into this world, um, I think is powerful. Um, and then how that translates into who you are today and how you have used your life experiences um, and those experiences of even your your family members um, to empower and encourage you right um, to decide to to run for office uh, I think and to just be um, there are parts of your story that that definitely remind me a lot of myself in some ways. Um, I thought that I was going to end up in politics. My, my days are still present, but it's not not too too late, late. but I I don't know. (laughs) Um, but you know, one of those things I, I grew up as a PK, Mm -hmm. um, consider myself a PK alum and was a part of the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, Mm -hmm. which is the oldest denomination within the black community. Mm And voting was essential. Mm -hmm. Um, They taught us about political advocacy. They taught us what it meant to also serve and to be a servant and Mm -hmm. to give back into the community. And so I've never known life 
outside of service. Right. I've never known life outside of giving back That's to true. my community. And so to hear you say that at the age of 10, mm-hmm. you were holding, you know, when you didn't even have the opportunity mm-hmm. to vote, like you said, here you were holding, you know, a voting registration, a voting registration drive mm-hmm. um, to register others sure. to be able to go out and vote because that vote does count. Absolutely. Right. Um, and it does matter. And I think it's just profound. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, I don't know if you still are today, but when you ran and you won, you were the youngest. One of the youngest. One yeah. of the youngest. One of the youngest. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so, I'm still one of the youngest. We're yes. very older. Our, our membership of the General Assembly mm-hmm. is very, you know, skews very older. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are not a lot of young folks there. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that there are so many barriers and just stigmas and stereotypes mm-hmm. and things that you overcame personally. Mm-hmm. You know, things that people could have been saying, like you said, this person had been in office for 20 years, Mm -hmm. but here it was, you were able to, to win and, um, all because of in that moment, you believe it was the right, it was the right time and it was the right moment. And, um, I think that is a perfect segue. I'm like, you keep segueing (laughs) right into, uh, what, what we want to discuss next, which is, you know, the, you also have, you know, your own practice. Yeah. You recently, um, congratulations again. I think we're coming up on almost year a one. year yep. um, of you having your own law firm. And so, you know, when you talk about uh, what it took for you in that moment, you know, to decide that I'm going to run for office, here I am also in law school. And now, you know, we're post, you know, about four, four or five years ahead. You know, what are some challenges that, you have faced along the way as also being an entrepreneur and are is there are there any lessons that you still take you know from deciding to run from office or new ones that have helped you um now that you have your own law firm absolutely great question so i worked for out of law school i worked for a very large very prominent uh, medical malpractice firm here in South Carolina. Some mm-hmm. of the biggest verdicts have come out of that firm um, in regards to medical malpractice, personal injury cases. So a very prestigious place. Um, and I enjoyed working there. I think I, I learned a great deal from, from being there. But I always knew that I had a desire uh, to one day own my own practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and working in that large firm environment, one thing that they take took great pride in is everybody kind of did their own thing. Um, it was really a great place for a seasoned attorney to come in and kind of do their own independent practice. But for a younger lawyer like myself, I, I really had to advocate for training. I had to advocate to figure mm-hmm. things out. And I think having had that experience of really not having somebody come in and say, hey, Cambrell, do this or do that, and really having to figure it out as I went made me a better lawyer. At the time, I felt right. that I was at a disadvantage um, because, you know, a lot of my colleagues had, you know, attorney mentors that came in and, and that were, you know, training them up. But for me, I had to literally figure it out as I went. Um, and I think that really showed me that I didn't have to wait 10 years or five years to mm-hmm. own my own practice. You know, I'm basically running a practice within a practice right now. Right. So why not go out and do it and do it yourself, as, as we say in, in the legal community, hang your own shingle, hang your own license. Mm-hmm. And so um, there was there was something that happened and that really kind of pushed that thought back to the forefront of my mind. I mm-hmm. said, you know what? Now's the time. Um, 
And that's what happened. So uh, about a year ago, as you said, we launched the firm, the Cantrell Garvin Law Firm. Um, I have a full time, one full time staff person. I took my my paralegal, who I actually met while I was in law school. She wow. was working at another firm. Mm-hmm. And I was just a law student that was coming in to the office, and she was always very kind, always very helpful. Um, and now, you know, she works for my firm. And so I think for both of us, it shows to always treat folks well because you never know who you will need or who will need you down the, right. the line. And so we're, we've been working together now uh, really for almost two years together. Um, but being an entrepreneur, I tell folks, is not for the faint at heart. Uh, and, and you know that, yes. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, running a nonprofit. There are good days. There are yes. bad days. You are, you are the last person to get paid. Um, all of your other bills and responsibilities are obviously taken care of first. Mm-hmm. Um, so except for my mortgage. I'm going to always right. pay my mortgage. So that's what my banker told me. And bro, if you don't pay anything else, pay, pay, pay your mortgage. Because you need some place to live. And I, I have internalized that advice. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so uh, being an entrepreneur, I, I just tell you, it's been a privilege. Mm-hmm. I grew up seeing my granddad's small town business. He owned a funeral home wow. down in Marion, South Carolina, owned it for almost 50 years. And the thing about his funeral home is that you know his neighbors would come out some on, on really every day. They would play checkers mm-hmm. um, outside of the funeral home. There was a, there was a convenience store right next door to the funeral home. So imagine a small town, okay? Right. So not Columbia, but a small town. Mm-hmm. So the neighbors would come out and they'll play checkers. They would laugh. They would talk. If folks in the community were in need, they would come um, and you know and get assistance. He would sometimes have collard greens or other vegetables mm-hmm. from the family farm and really just give them to pe- giving right. them away to people. Uh, and so when I thought about what I wanted my firm to look like I wanted mm. it to be community centered yes. I wanted it to be a place where people in the community knew that they could obviously get a service a legal service right. that they could also come if they needed a donation for a charitable event mm-hmm. but they could also come if they needed a place to host a meeting or an event and so that's kind of the, how I envision the practice and um, I, and again it's been an amazing year you know it hasn't always been the easiest thing to do right. uh, but nothing worthwhile having necessarily come as easy exactly. and I learned that um, and so I am optimistic I, I'm very optimistic actually that as we continue to grow as a small business that we will be the preeminent firm within the city of Columbia uh, within our larger Midlands region as well as the state of South Carolina in the next two to three years no and that's that's awesome and I think that you know you speak to something that Many of us, myself, can relate to, you know, as an entrepreneur, like you said, is not for the faint at heart. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, one of the things that I have learned and has stayed with me outside of integrity always mm-hmm. being number one um, is that relationships. Yeah. Relationships matter and they're key. And so, you know, to hear you talk about and share, you know, your grandfather while he owned a funeral home, right? There were other ways that he showed up mm-hmm. in the community because mm-hmm. he understood the value and the importance mm-hmm. of relationship. Sure. He understood uh, the value of community. And so I think that it's important, you know, as well, it's like, even though, yes, you practice law and you have this law firm that you also are a part of the community Mm -hmm. and the community knows and those that are listening, Mm -hmm. they know as well that like this law firm is here to be more than just um, you know, to practice law, but to, and to support and serve people in this way, Absolutely. but to also really be a part of this community and a staple in our community. Um, one of my other questions I wanted to ask you outside of your, your grandfather, 
um, you know, and your mom that you also spoke about. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone else who has um, influenced Mm -hmm. the work that you do today? Sure, sure. I'm going to go back to my mom. I didn't really get into that story about mom. Um, When I was five years old, I was diagnosed with a speech impediment. Mm. Um, My mom was a single mom at the the time. And um, she and my dad had gotten divorced when I was about, I guess, two years old. My brother was probably three. And um, she decided to actually go back to school to become a speech therapist. And 20 plus years later, she's probably almost 30 years later, she's still a speech therapist. Mm-hmm. And she has a picture of young Cambrell in her office. And she points to my picture to show her students that, hey, my son had a speech impediment. You may have a, um, a communication disorder, but you too can overcome that. You too can be whatever mm-hmm. you want to be. And so I think what that taught me, Ashley, is it taught me the importance and the power of my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that at, a, at the age of five that my voice had power. I learned that at the age of five that my voice had meaning. I learned at the age of five that I could use my voice to change atmospheres, to shift environments. Um, and that's what I've been doing as a lawyer. Um, that's what I've been doing as a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives. And that's what I continue to do as a member and as a leader in my community to use my voice to make um, measurable change. Mm-hmm. And so my story, you know, may be unique to me, uh, but I think that we all have those special abilities. We all have those God-given talents that we have to use to be able to make the world or make our communities a little bit better for having been here. Yeah, no, thank you so much um, for sharing that, your your vulnerability, but also um, I think it's just amazing to hear you talk about all the ways in which your mom has impacted your life and um, even how, you know, out of, out of your situation, out of your temporary situation, sure. right? It inspired her to go back mm-hmm. um, and to school and to to become a speech pathologist. But again, I just there are so many amazing aspects to your story um, and and the things that you've overcame in life and how those things have shaped and molded you into the, today into the leader that you are into the entrepreneur that you are. And I believe it truly is a testament for individuals who are listening, who may be an entrepreneur or who are desiring to be an entrepreneur to really know that um, whatever it is that you truly desire having in life, it's worth risking. It's worth taking that risk, right? It's worth betting on um, yourself. Betting on yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Versus looking at your shortcomings Mm -hmm. or those areas of our lives that we want to improve or Mm -hmm. what we know or don't know, because Mm -hmm. so many of us as entrepreneurs had to learn on the job and didn't have that mentor. Right. And so I think um, that there are just so many nuggets of wisdom Mm -hmm. uh, that you've been able to share. And I just really appreciate again, uh, your vulnerability and uh, sharing with us the things that you have um, thus far for this interview. And so we are going to take a very quick break break um, and come back and talk a little bit more about community with Cambrell and how the work he does aligns and with the work that we do as an organization when it comes to centering safety and wellness. The Hive Community Circle is a survivor-led, survivor-driven support organization helping women and girls in South Carolina overcome the trauma of sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and stalking. 
We are on a mission to provide unwavering support and compassion through centering safety and wellness to the most impacted yet most underserved survivors in South Carolina. To learn more about our organization, visit us at www.thehivecc.org. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Ashley Thomas, founder and executive director of the Hive Community Circle, and you are listening to Ben Venidos to the cookout. And I have joining with me again, attorney and member of the South Carolina House of Representatives, Cambrell Garvin. And so Cambrell, we, you know, have you just shared with us this, this amazing um, story of talking about, you know, your mother, but also the speech impediment mm-hmm. that you overcame um, and you talked a little bit about community and how you know it's important for you that your law firm the Canberra Garvin law firm um, is really a staple within Mm -hmm. the community and a part of the community can you you know expound for those that are listening you know what community means to you Mm -hmm. uh, and how if if there are any other ways I know you've definitely talked about you know how you have shown up in the community since you were a child but if there are any other ways that the community has inspired your work mm-hmm. today. Absolutely. So from my perspective, I think that community is a collective of, is a collective of people um, that come, come together for a common purpose or for the common good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's basically saying something along, along the lines of, if I have seen further than the people that were behind me, that came before me, it's because I'm standing on their shoulders. Mm. And that's kind of how I see a community, and, and that is that if I have been able to do more or, or achieve more or go further than my sharecropper great-grandparents, mm-hmm. um, then um, those are the people in my community that have supported me, that have uplifted me. Right. And I think that community can also be church. I heard you mention church earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be you know our school or our educational communities as well. Um, uh, there's an old African adage that says it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that that really sums up for me what community is. Mm-hmm. All of us working together right. collect- collectively to ensure that our children um, are getting um, access to the best education, that, that they're getting access to the best resources, that they have an opportunity to reach their full and God-given potential. Mm-hmm. So I think no community, a community is only as strong as their investment into they're young people because right. of course they're the future and right. the present. Absolutely. And it's, and it's about what we invest, mm-hmm. right. And what we all play, you know, an intricate role and part. And one of our former guests, uh, Aisha Charles really spoke to that, you know, of everyone being a valuable asset mm-hmm. to the community and, and how that can really shift how we think about community, but how we also benefit and grow from one another as a community when we see, you know, that, we're all essential. We're all an asset. Um, and as you said, it's, it's about what we're investing um, into the community. And so, you know, for us here at The Hive, the work that we do um, around abuse and violence, we we recognize the importance of centering safety and wellness, um, something that everyone 
rightfully deserves, mm-hmm. right? It's not something that someone should have to earn or work for, mm-hmm. um, but just as human beings, as individuals, um, you know, we all deserve the right to navigate through life, being safe and and being able to ensure that we are well mm-hmm. and that we are taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see, you know, the, the importance of centering safety and wellness integrated, you know, into the work that you do, um, whether that is, you know, as an attorney or mm-hmm. as a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, first of all, allow me to say kudos to the Hive Thank you. for the many, many years of service, <laughs> um, as well as being, I think, um, a leader mm-hmm. uh, in the areas um, of, of safety and wellness for, for us. Because I think for me, it's a newer concept. And, and I know that Oftentimes in years past, Mm -hmm. so many organizations or groups did not prioritize that. Um, I think now, though, I think that we're moving and shifting in that direction, which is, I think, advantageous for all involved. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, uh, the work of safety and wellness is so important. I think from uh, being a business owner, I think Mm -hmm. ensuring that those who work for my firm um, uh, feel safe and feel well and have the space to be who they need, need to be and to be able to show up as their true selves, I think is very important. And I think of my work at the State House and being a legislator, being able to support organizations that center safety and wellness is so important. Uh, being able to amplify the voices of people who, who need their voices amplified and, uh, at, you know, from that podium at the State House um, is also important. So I, for me, that's how uh, I think safety and wellness shows up in the day-to-day work that we do. Absolutely. And I think you you really um, hit the nail on the head, you know, when you talked about individuals being able to show up as their true mm-hmm. selves. But I also want to thank you as well for, you know, even saying, um, you know, in your role, being able to assist with amplifying the voices that need to be amplified, because so often individuals who um, recognize the power within their voice, as mm-hmm. you do as well, um, have, you know, unfortunately made the comment that um, they are a voice for the voiceless. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that anybody is voiceless mm-hmm. and without a voice. Do I believe there are individuals whose voices need to be amplified sure. and heard who may not be? And sometimes as advocates, as leaders in our community, we are able to help do that, mm-hmm. right? But no one um, is without a voice. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we... And, and so often I think that's something that survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, that individuals not only hear but experience, mm-hmm. um, they feel in, that their voices have been stolen mm-hmm. because they were not heard, mm-hmm. um, because they didn't feel listened to, because they didn't feel empowered or respected, whether that was from their abuser or the perpetrator or whether that was through an unfortunate interaction with the system, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. And so... Uh, could you just share with us in your own opinion, you know, you know, why do you believe it's so important um, that we also as we create a safe space um, for all individuals, regardless of their life circumstances? Why is that um, as just as important that we do for those who may be experiencing or have experienced abuse and violence? Mm-hmm. I think for folks that have had those experiences, um, it's so important that we all, number one, recognize them. And number two, that we serve as an advocate mm-hmm. um, to empower folks that have been uh, dealing with just 
certain circumstances. So I think from my perspective, and I, I believe that the question is, how can my role, mm-hmm. um, how can I in my role help folks who have been impacted in that way? I think, again, similarly to what we were saying a second ago, and, and that's simply being able to um, be an advocate, being able to um, not offer... Hmm. Not try to be a savior in the sense, uh, but to offer um, the guidance that's needed um, to figure out what the need is and then to figure out how to address that need is what I think I can best do in the role that I am in. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And is there anything that you um, believe in addition to that um, that the community can do to begin to address um, abuse and violence so that you know, center and safety and yeah. wellness becomes again a, a universal mm-hmm. thing, right? It becomes mm-hmm. um, the common thing just as much mm-hmm. as clicking the lock, sure. you know, on our door, yeah. setting our alarm system. Yeah, awareness. I think mm-hmm. awareness is so, so key. I think a lot of us grew, not a lot of folks grew up in homes that had mm-hmm. violence. A lot of us have had experiences centered around sexual abuse or assault. Um, a lot of us have been an intimate partner, have experienced intimate partner violence. And so I think oftentimes survivors, and you know better than I do, but oftentimes survivors don't tell other stories. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they're ashamed. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they're afraid. Um, and I think that it's important that we normalize conversations, normalize conversations in the school setting, normalize conversations in our churches, normalize conversations in the community center. Uh, Because instead of wearing, you know, those experiences as a badge of shame, I think that people, once they get to the place where they feel comfortable, should tell their stories to empower others. we lost an icon about a month ago, Tina Turner. Right. Uh, and I think Tina Turner, as we all know, the story of how she was in this abusive mm-hmm. uh, marriage for many, many years. Right. And she had to start over from scratch. And she told, she told the story of how the only thing that she wanted was her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a, as a middle-aged 40-year-old woman, what we saw Tina Turner do is go out and become this global icon, bigger than she ever was. Um, but I think her story inspired a generation mm-hmm. um, of, of men and women um, to, number one, show that domestic violence should not be the norm right. uh, and or sexual violence mm-hmm. or intimate partner violence, um, but to also, she showed us how to overcome those challenges. Right. Um, and I think that's the one of the most beautiful things about her story. And, and yeah. Yeah, no, and thank you for that. I think that it it speaks volumes. Um, I just want to say you as as a male um, to 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 center um, not just safety and wellness, but really to also center survivors of sexual assault and intimate partner violence or and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important um, that we hear and see uh, the visibility and the presence mm-hmm. of men in our community. Mm-hmm who um, are centering these issues and these topics and recognize the importance of raising that awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, you know, it's happening. I don't think it always gets the attention that it deserves. Mm -hmm. And so we definitely appreciate, you know, you being able to, um, to center and, Mm -hmm. but also speak and uplift that. And um, definitely, you know, can relate as it pertains to Tina Turner and just 
the role model and the icon that she was um, not just to in the music industry mm-hmm. for the the world, not even just the black community, but also to those of us who are survivors sure. and and know what it takes to leave traumatic situations mm-hmm. and have to start over and yeah. literally rebuild your lives. Right. So. Um, so yes, we, we definitely will always miss, um, we'll miss Tina. Um, and so as we get ready to wrap up, um, one of the things, you know, we strongly believe that, and we know this work cannot be accomplished alone. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're definitely honored that you've came to share with us your contributions, um, as a, as a black male entrepreneur, um, to our state, to our community, Um, And more importantly, we value and really appreciate you aligning yourself with the work that we do um, by pledging, you know, to center safety and wellness. Um, As we get ready to wrap up, are there any final comments um, that you would like to make as, you know, we are encouraging other leaders within the community to also take this pledge of um, centering safety and wellness for all? Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity to come on the podcast today and to share a little bit about my story and my experience. I think as an elected official, I think as an attorney, I think as a community leader that we have all have a responsibility or or let me speak for for myself. I have a responsibility Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, center wellness, to center safety, um, to be in places and spaces um, that encourage that. And I think I think, again, I think I, I have the ability to amplify some of these issues Um, and I hope to be able to use my platform to continue to do just that Um, I think it's important that we all do our part Um, we all have a role to play Um, some of us are going to be up front some of us are going to be behind the scenes but I think that collectively working together we can achieve our our intended goal in really building a safer um, and world for each and every one of us yeah, thank you so much, Cambrell. We definitely appreciate you for being with us on today and being our guest. And we, uh, again, just value and appreciate your vulnerability and um, just everything that you've been able to share with us and share with the listeners on today. So, again, we want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in to Being Benitos to the Cookout um, as a part of our Somos Melanated Voices podcast. I, again, am Ashley Thomas, founder and executive director of The Hive, and you just listened to an interview with a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives, Cambrell Garvin. Thank you again for tuning in.